for June 16th, 2022. It's the Lullaby Podcast. It's the Lullabot Podcast, episode 257. I'm Matt Cleave, a senior developer at Lullabot, and today we're talking Olivero. Olivero, a new um, default theme for Drupal. And with me, talking Drupal and Olivero, we have the people that made it happen. Um, and I've got a few guests with me today. First off, we have a front-end developer from AVB Digital. He's everyone's favorite alligator wrestler from Gainesville, Florida. The former co-host of the Lullabot podcast, Mike Herschel. Hey, Mike. Hey, Matt. Long time no talk. It's been a while. Glad you're here. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Second on the list, we have a designer at Lullabot who has experience working on everything from mobile apps to websites, including some branding and print work. She's taken on that experience at Lullabot, working with good clients such as MSNBC, This Old House, IBM, many, many more. From Buffalo, New York, we have Associate Design Director, Jen Witkowski. Hey, Jen. Hi, how are you? <laughs> we have the fearless leader of Lullabot's design efforts as well. Um, the bio on his website says he's spent more than a decade designing for the web and interactive applications, but I know that he's been at Lullabot for like 13 years or something. So over the course of his career, he's led design efforts and produced design and UX consulting for clients like MIT, Time Warner, NBC, Intel, the Grammys, many, many more. We have Lullabot's chief creative officer from Atlanta, Georgia, Jared Ponchot. Hey, Jared. But yeah, thanks for having me. And we have on board a former science teacher who's been involved with Drupal since 2016. He's been doing a lot of work on Olivero and Claro themes that are now in core. He's my small town brethren from Minster, Ohio, senior front end developer, Andy Bloom. Hey, Andy. Hey, how's it going? Glad you're here. So I guess jump in. Olivero, how'd this happen? What 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 got started? I think we've done a podcast on this before, Mike, haven't we? Yeah, I, I think we did with Putra. Um, and and so, Putra, I was going to say, there's a bunch of people involved that aren't here right now. So. That's yeah, true. Yeah. I threw a yeah. calendar invite at the wall and whatever stuck is here. So <laughs> yeah, thank you. But we should acknowledge lots of people did lots of work. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah 100%. <laughs> um, so this all kind of started in... Um, 2019 at DrupalCon Seattle, um, where Putra and I were just kind of hanging out in a uh, hotel lobby. And my memory is a little hazy, but I think we were there with like Larry Escala, uh, Angie Byron, and, and maybe Gabor, I don't know. And um, <clears throat> we ended up, we were just talking. And and I, I asked, hey, is there anyone working on the front end theme? And someone said, no, but you should. And I was like, ha, 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 yeah, maybe. And uh, the next morning when we were, Putra and I shared a, um, a ride to the airport and we had breakfast and we were talking about it there. And uh, I was like, yeah, we could probably make this happen. And then of course I didn't do anything. And then once again, she, uh, she reached out to me maybe like a month later and she said, hey, remember that conversation? We should do it. So at that point, um, <clears throat> I started reaching out to people. I reached out to uh, Jen, who is like my most favorite designer. Reached out to Jared. Reached out to. Uh, I won't Matthew take that too. personally, Mike. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, and uh, <clears throat> so we started like put kind of kind of just like assembling the team. You know, like one of the 
<clears throat> like back then I was obviously at Lullabot and, and, and one of the cool things about being at Lullabot is just, you have this, you have access to all these amazing people who could just, who could just make things happen. So one, one thing that I do very well is I wrangle people. I, I like kind of cajole them into, in, into doing stuff that they might not want to do. So I, I kind of like flex that muscle. And that sounds I, like I project guess- manager skills, Mike. It, it definitely is project manager yeah. skills, but but I also hate spreadsheets, which is why I'm still a developer. <laughs> okay. So, so um, I uh, we we started just to kind of go through the process and um, the the whole the, the the process of creating the design was really really interesting. But like honestly, I feel like Jen and Jared could maybe pick up the story from here. Yeah. So I think Mike, you came to to me and was like, Hey, can you help design a theme? And I was like, sure. But I realized like I had, I've worked in themes many, many times. I have never designed the theme before. So I think I had then reached out to Jared and was like, Hey, do you want to get involved in this? Because I feel like I needed just a, a second pair of eyes and some, some experience from somebody else too, who was also well-versed in, you know, working in themes and working in Drupal. Um, so we can come up with the, the correct way and the right approach for uh, creating this theme. So, Because there's many intricacies that we came across when we were designing this theme because it could be filled with anything. Like, <laughs> so. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the, like the actual process, like the three designs and the stakeholders and all that type of stuff? Sure. Um, so let's see here. I'm kind of like thinking back it's so long ago <laughs> I know. It's like yeah i do remember jen and i saying how do we design when our stakeholders are you know all users of drupal um that that makes it really difficult to make design decisions so that was a fun a fun thing about the pro- process for sure and if you're building yeah. a, a theme that's in core it's not only like hey you installed drupal isn't this pretty it needs to be functional with everything that is inside of Drupal core yeah, already, right? Yeah. So with every yeah. module enabled, yeah. stuff should look it, right. So it has to do it, it all. Like a big so task. it's asking a chef to come up with a menu and say, please, please make sure that all food is on it. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody who walks in the <laughs> that, door will be completely satisfied. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Wow. So we came up with a list of stakeholders, which included people like Jerry Scabor. We had Christina Chumias, who is a UX uh, maintainer, and uh, we had a we had a was it like four or five uh, people, and uh, y'all came up with three designs, and and they chose one, and then we and then you iterated on it, right? We did a little planning before that. We formed that proxy group. And that I, th- I think that was key, was we realized before we put stuff in front of the entire community, we need to have people that can f- serve as representatives of the community from different kinds of perspectives or who have had a lot of engagement over the years with different community members. And they would help guide, like, w- how do we want this thing to be? you know, what's true about Bartik that needs to stay true about whatever replaces it? What, what, what do we want to have this one achieve that, that wasn't there before we did a, Jen, do you remember, it's been a while now, I should have looked this up before coming. We did a spectrum exercise where we had all those stakeholders kind of map things on a spectrum to try to help guide 
the direction for things and I, I should track that thing down because I'm having a trouble trouble yeah. it was pretty cool it was like it was like like a line and we asked each of the stakeholders between formal and friendly where on the line like draw a dot and write a comment yeah it was and, more and- just trying to suss out like the visual approach of how we wanted this thing to feel because it could be super modern it could be very traditional um and so just we, this is a spectrum that we often use with with clients and stakeholders and trying to figure out like, okay, like, how do you want this theme to look like what are the key components that this theme should um, like from a visual standpoint should it have so. Well, considering something, Jen, you said the word modern, which kind of spiked my hmm thing because my, I don't know I don't know what to call it I don't know anyway you said modern and <laughs> the uh I, one, one thing I did looking back is I I said well let's see I'm sure we had something about Bartik on the podcast um many many years ago and I, I found a, a behind the screens episode with Jen Simmons talking about designing Bartik and getting it into Drupal 7 oh, from, yeah? from May of 2010 I want yes. to hear that. Yeah. When, when I joined Lullabot, I had a conversation with Jen Simmons, who was in process with like Bartik was quite a ways along at that point. But I remember, yeah. It's in, in, so anytime you have a, a design period, whether it's a Drupal theme or anything that can last for a decade, um, it's impressive. And it's also, there's no way it's not going to be showing its age, you know? Yep. Yeah, so making it feel modern is great, but it also kind of needs to last the test of time. Yeah, right? timeless. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, we had the spectrum. I found it, and it's like th- there was the stakeholder group. It was sort of like more formal than casual in its feel, m- way more light and bright than dark and Im- impactful, um, contemporary more than c- traditional uh professional more so than friendly uh official more more uh, kind of in the middle between official and approachable is where the where all the the votes lay and then uh kind of in the middle with novel versus conservative which is interesting uh familiar more than unique cool more than warm high contrast more than restrained and light more than heavy so that was our you know our kind of early guidance to start exploring visual ideas. Yeah. I think we, there might've been a little bit more than just that that we did, but yeah. Well, we also created like a component list. So we had a full understanding of like what components we had to um, account for when we were designing for this. So. Well, and also if you're, if you're designing a a core theme that is going to run on Drupal nine or eight at the time or whatever we were thinking that also includes views right? So components can be really like mm-hmm. like a long list of things. That's well, interesting because like Drupal, like you have components, but then again, Drupal only ships with a couple of different view modes, you know? So of course True. we, we styled like teasers and full view modes and stuff and made some default styles. And then like, I, I took some extra care to like go into the views and like, like in between like the different uh views i don't know like subcomponents you know like the header the the content area the views i have like some spacing in there so it all like kind of looks good and um yeah but um so we're talking about these these ideas right that you were yeah. on the spectrum of yeah. ideas how does that translate to the screen 
in the form of an of a design like yeah that's a good question so like so 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 like one of the things i was like really concerned with is accessibility you know like so so we're naming this thing after rachel olivero rachel olivero was a community member that that passed away uh she was an accessibility advocate she was blind she worked at the national federation for the blind and so we thought it would be really appropriate to name this theme after her and um of course, when you're naming a theme after an accessibility advocate, it better well damn be accessible, you sure. know? So um, I ended up doing a lot of, uh, like a lot of mock-ups and just static HTML. And, um, and like running that by accessibility maintainers and things like that. And and we we got a lot, uh, a lot of the, uh, architectural decisions out of the way in static HTML. And that was like really nice because that, you know, you didn't have to muck around with Drupal templates or pre-process, you just write the HTML. And, and, and so that was helpful. And then remember it was Florida Drupal camp, uh, maybe 2020 that we actually moved it into a contrib theme. Putra, we, Putra and I like uh, had a code sprint down down in, in, in Florida Drupal camp. And we had a bunch of people helping out to kind of take that static HTML, move it into a theme. And by the end of the code sprint, like it kind of looked a little bit like Olivero, but it was Drupal. And that was like a really, really big deal, you know? And up until that point, like th- that static HTML mockup, it sounds easy, but it took like three months of back and forth figuring stuff out. It was a lot, you know, like there's a lot to go over with the designers and stuff and with the accessibility maintainers and things. So we finally moved it into code. And so at that point, it was a contrib theme. It was obviously not into Drupal core. And we just started started doing development. You know, we started just doing stuff. And, and the cool thing about having your own um your own contrib project is like you don't have to always create issues i would find bugs and just commit directly to the main branch you know whatever the branch was 8.x.1 or whatever and um so we made a whole bunch of rapid progress putra was very active back then you're talking um, about putra bonacorsi who's a PM, yeah. pm at lullabot right also yep, was yep. A and an developer. awesome front-end developer she's a yep. pm but like her front-end development skills are, are are pretty pretty awesome and uh we were fixing accessibility issues we we, we got a whole bunch done and it was it was really like really so that went on for maybe about eight months or so. And then we got into Drupal core as an experimental theme. And when, so Drupal going into Drupal core, you can have a module or a theme go in as experimental. And what that means is it's like less than perfect. It might not have all the accessibility fixes that are needed. It might not have, um, it might have some bugs, but nothing too critical. But the code is in core and that's like one of the big hurdles. Yeah. And when did that happen? Um, I'd have to look it up, but but if I were to guess, I would I would say like maybe like September, October, twenty twenty, or something like that. And um, so that was that was a huge deal. And um, but what happens when it's in core is you start getting a lot more 
critical eyes on that. So like number one, things move a lot slower, but number two, like the people that are looking at the code and looking at this are doing so a lot more critically. So we, we found like a lot of bugs and, and like a lot of different stuff in there that, um, that, you know, we eventually resolved, um, and so which is kind of the 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 power of open source that everybody talks about is the eyes on a project and Mm -hmm. it sounds like you kind of experienced that when more people end up looking at it um it's it's helpful because people put things together in ways that you weren't expecting and hey look there's something we can fix yeah a lot of that And, and about that time i guess is when you got in here andy um like like um we hired andy on a at lullabot and he ended up kind of coming on to the same project that I was on. So of course, like in my, it, like in your pe- uh, people wrangling skills, you said, Hey, yeah, Andy, people wrangling, I'm since like, you're hey, here, maybe hey, you could help us out. Yeah. Huh? You want to do some, you want to do some work for free. Well, <laughs> and I, I may have, I may have inadvertently volunteered for that because Mike was also part of the committee that was on my interview. Um, and I mentioned to him <laughs> during the interview process, that I found a bug and posted a patch on an issue for Olivero. Um, so even before I was on, I think Mike had in his head, this guy's doing my grunt work. Hell yeah. 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 Was that your move to look good during your interview? Like it absolutely was. It was also yeah. my first core commit. So that was fun. That's that's yeah. very cool. Had any of so, all worked on core stuff before? Andy, it sounds like you were pretty new to it. I had a commit, like I had like one or two core commits, but they were all for like super minor things, you know? So you could easily argue the answer for me is no, even though I technically had some core commits, but I wasn't like, I wasn't super active like I am now. Jen, Jared? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I had done a little bit of uh, work a couple of years ago, um, providing some ideas. Uh, this was during like the, I want to say the Drupal seven admin theme days around improvements to content creation interfaces. Um, Drupal seven, just a couple of years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yep. I, I, I kind of remember that. So yeah, content creation. So th- these are kind of ideas that maybe you had some experience looking at and consideration that, you know, lots of people need to use it in many different ways. And yeah. Cool. Yeah. So like we we're iterating, we're, we're doing a lot of work. And one of the things that, that I want to like call out that, that I, that I feel like I did really well, and this kind of goes into my, uh, once again, the people wrangling skills, um, the one core committer that was doing most of the work was Larry Escala. And, um, you know, so so he would he would look at our patches, and there's only like for all of all of the listeners who might not know this, there's probably like maybe like fifteen or odd people in the world who have the authority to commit to Drupal Core. You know, so basically, like someone like me or someone like you know anyone else has to write a patch or now a merge request, and then it has to go through a review process, and then the last step in the review process is that core commit or someone like Lowry. Uh, to commit the stuff. Right. So what I did was I wrangled him, you know, like, I'm like, Hey, um, when can you, can we just hop on a zoom call every or, or like, when can we hop on a zoom call, you know, for two to three hours. 
Right. And so he would say, well, I can't do it till the 23rd, you know, and I can do, I can give you two hours then. And I'd be like, all right. And I, I would send out a, I would send out a, a, a calendar invite. And then what I would do, what I, what, and I still don't do this is I, I basically just get a list of issues and an RTBC, you know, which is reviewed and tested by the community kind of ready for him to look at. And I say, these are the ones I want. These are the priorities for me. I want you to go through these, you know, and then um, it's really valuable because a lot of times he'll have questions and he'll say like, well, have you thought about this? And then my answer is like, yeah, I can't do this because of X, Y, Z. And then he's like, well, can you just leave a comment? And so I'll leave a comment. So that's documented. And that verbal exchange right there literally probably shaved off like a week, you know, because to do this stuff asynchronously can take a long time when you're just waiting for someone else to respond or, you know, or, or, or things like that. And, or, or there'll be like, well, have you thought of this? And I'd be like, I really haven't, but no one's ever going to do that. Let's create a follow-up issue. And he's like, okay, create a follow-up issue. And so we would, pro- we probably like started averaging, like maybe having like, we call them mini sprints. We would do like a two hour mini sprint every, uh, every other week, you know, sometimes every month or something like that, depending on our, each of our availabilities. And it was like, it was really good because it was time that we could dedicate, you know, and, and there, there would also be times where I could say, like, what do you think about this approach? What do you think about this approach? And, and, and we got stuff in, uh, fairly quickly. And, and I'm honestly, I, I, I think that was pretty cool. So then a few months ago, uh, the final commit happened that made it the default theme, right? And that happened at, at Drupal. Before that, I had oh, to go, I I had to go to stable. On. Okay. So it had to go stable. Go ahead. It had to go to stable, right? What does so, that mean? Like, it was, it was still experimental and okay. there was a number of like accessibility bugs and code style bugs and you know, real bugs and, 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 and things like that, that we had to, we had to resolve. So like each of those were documented, had an issue and, uh, like people like Andy and, and lots of other people all throughout the world would work on these. And I would do a lot of review and I would work on some too. And then we would, we would, we would get Larry to commit these during the mini sprints. So, there was a point where we're like, we're all done with our stable things, you know? And so we were able to make it, make it stable. And, th- and that involved just like kind of removing like a little line from the uh, info.yaml line, info.yaml file that said it's experimental. And at that point we were stable, but it still wasn't the default theme. Right. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> obviously like, like that's the next step. And um Man, this is a whole story. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like tomorrow also... we'll come back and Mike is just still going. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so one thing so... I'm thinking about is as I see our, our 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 two designers are sitting here. Um, so Mike, it sounds like there's there was a really long process of iteration. Um, yeah. Did did we have the same process with designs throughout the the timeline, or or how did that end up working? So with with the design, what ended up happening is we came up with basically three different Zoom mocks. And Zoom mocks are based, it's kind of like a way of approaching design. Um, 
you, like a style tile. The word you're saying is a zoom mock, like the zoom mock. Yeah, zoom mock. Yeah. Zoom yeah, we call them zoom mocks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so what we do is we basically take a, a component or a series of components. For example, like we'll mostly focus on like a high priority page, like a home page, and we'll do like navigation and like a hero area, um, and we'll design like three different. Uh, uh, visual choices for that. So we'll do one that's based on the spectrum. We'll do one that's a bit more on the uh, super contemporary, one that's a little bit more traditional, and then maybe one that falls in the middle. Um, and then what we did is we put those in front of our um, proxy group. We got a lot of feedback and they basically picked one and we just kind of moved forward with that, with the idea that it would evolve and change as we start building out the rest of the page types that we needed. Um, and I don't think we heard too much feedback besides when it came to accessibility. Um, so, you know, we were really stringent with accessibility. We had a lot of stakeholders giving us feedback on accessibility. Um, and so we'd modify our designs and color choices, uh, based on some of that feedback that we were getting. So, yeah. 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 Jen did a lot of work with back and forth that happened and, would ping me fairly regularly to ask me, but Jen did a lot of work on the iteration to get to where we solved for the, because the visual direction was very like light and bright, high contrast. It meant that it was fairly easy to have like 99% of it. Like just, it was going to not have issues, but there was, there was a lot of little things, little details that emerged, like things like label designs that were designed for, you know, you know, this is how a share link will present and it says share and it's, and it's like a heading style that's all caps. And it's like, well, but that heading style could wind up being used for these other places where the CMS will allow them to put in whatever they want. And therefore it could be multi-word and you can't hit accessibility with all caps if it's more than so many characters or words. And so there was a lot of that kind of stuff that was like, oh, we didn't even think about that. So yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, we, we had to account for things like right to left languages, you know, mm -hmm. so like a right to left language is something like Arabic and, you know, English, obviously, uh, most Western languages, you start on the left and then you kind of read toward the right. And obviously that's opposite. So so we had to we had to make sure that the designs corresponded with that. We had to take that all of that into account, you know, which is which was the first time I ever did a right to left uh, anything really. Thankfully, we didn't have to do bottom to top languages. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Th that has to be interesting to consider design-wise with a right-to-left language, too, because a lot of things that we're thinking about, you know, laying things out for a website, you, uh, yeah. I, probably most Americans are locked into considering that the left is the beginning and the yeah. right is the end. And our the whole design for Olivera was also, like, very, like, one of the ways it achieves like a very modern contemporary feel is that it's very like intentional with its alignment choices. So it is very like left anchored. There's nothing that naturally centers in it. There's almost no centering anywhere yeah. that I can think of that happens in Olivero. And therefore it does make a complete flip-flop of the entire way it works when you go right to left. So back in the old days when I used to know about this kind of thing, there, so is there a right to left style sheet that gets used when you're using no. a right to left language? So, no? so we, man. That's going to depend. Are you looking at Drupal 9 or Drupal 10 now? Yeah. Oh my goodness, it's different. 
Well, it's a little different. I didn't realize I was opening up a can of worms by (laughs) something I heard about 15 years ago or whatever. Yeah. In Drupal 9, we're still supporting Internet Explorer 11. And with that, you do have to scope some of your styles with a a dir attribute RTL. And that says for this style, as long as it's it's within some element that dictates its its writing direction is right to left, then you have to flip flop the styles. Drupal 10, you don't have to support IE 11 anymore. And so we can start looking at like CSS logical properties, which is neat uh, because you can start to remove directional terms like left and right from your code. Instead of talking about, you know, padding left margin top, we can use terms like padding inline start. So that's the start of the the writing direction. And so if that's in a left to right language like English, that's padding left. And if you're switching to Hebrew or Arabic or some other right to left language, that's padding right. And if you switch the writing direction to vertical, it then puts it at padding top. And so your CSS property, if you use these logical properties, which are, are new-ish, um, that lets you kind of just breeze past that and not really have to consider, well, is this in the left to right version or the right to left version? It just says, we're just going to anchor this in the direction of the language at the start of the line. Yeah. So I have an idea, right? And the, the language, hang on, the language is uh, a part of the doc type or how, how does how do we know which language you're using? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I, it's part of the the browser's navigator thing, I believe. Is that correct, Mike? <laughs> Technical I, terms. To tell you the truth, I don't know, but the, but the browser knows what language it has. Okay. And and the browser will will say like, well, well, no, no, no. The yeah, that's a really good question, Matt. I don't know. The browser. Knows. <laughs> yeah. We'll just go with that. Google knows everything, so Chrome probably does uh, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it has something to do with the rootkit that I can I, installed on my computer. I think I think the browser just knows based on the language that it is it is working in. Yeah, which, that makes sense. And the browser the browser can pull the language that's operating in based on you know the operating system. So okay. you know if when we're talking about like light mode versus dark mode, that's actually an operating system setting. Well, that the, the web and, and the website knows what's language that's on, obviously too, right? Yeah. So like if you're if you have a language switcher and you go between English and right. Arabic. Like, but you like can also there is also the writing mode uh, CSS prep yeah. property, which you could set globally at one level, and then all of those styles can flip. Yeah, maybe there's a user property. agent style sheet for the different like lang. At you. I don't know. This yeah, the browser knows. Okay, fair enough. Didn't didn't mean to open the open the the can of worms. But <sighs> Way to go, it's Matt. Wild to think about all of these things that you don't usually end up thinking about, right? So yeah. So there's so much, but I want so I want to continue the story about okay. becoming default because I think that's pretty cool. And this this is but, this happened at DrupalCon in Portland. Yeah. And 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 then this like year. like yeah I, I, after all this like maybe after the break or whatever we can talk about some of the features and cool stuff that we did okay yeah absolutely yeah, I, I, totally, like... I totally do want to get into like what olivero is oh man there's there. so many cool things yeah. all right but but like the story like while it's fresh in my head right okay so to recap for our listeners we're stable but we're not yet the default so um in my uh so so going out to DrupalCon portland and uh, so uh, Larry Escola, he and I were, were roommates together out there. And I came in one night 
And he said, uh, like I was, I was coming in late and he's like, Mike, we got Claro to be the default admin theme. And we high five and I'm like, Whoa, you know, and I'm in my head, I'm thinking, I wonder if we could do Olivero, you know? So, uh, the next day, uh, I was talking with, um, with, with Gabor and, and Larry and, they said, we, yeah, we should totally try to do this. We should, we should try to see if we can make this to be the default theme, right? And right then, and this is, this is once again how, how I'm good with uh, kind of uh, wrangling people, Joe Schindler comes around. Joe Schindler from the Drupalize Me team, right? Yep, uh, yep, yep. Joe Schindler from Drupalize Me. Yep. He's famous in all the videos. Although I, I keep coming up with the wrong name for their company. It should be... OCO Labs. OCO Labs. There we go. But but they're all known as Drupalize Me. Yep. So, um, like all the work that needs to be done, like there are a whole bunch of automated tests that expect Bartik to exist. And if it's in core, then you need tests for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, all these tests need to be updated to look for Olivero's markup. And then there was like a bunch of weird crap that hadn't been touched in like 10 years that needed to be like adjusted, fixed and all that type of stuff. So I'm like, hey, Joe, you know PHP. And he's like, what? And I'm like, hey, have a seat. And so he started, of course, working on it. And he was like a machine. He is a he is a really smart person. He just started like banging it out. And, and there was that at one point I'm like, hey, man, do you know what you're doing? He's like, yeah, 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 go away. And so I'm like, all right, all right. And and so he starts like uh, working on working on the merge request to get this done and ends up knocking out a number of, of, of different issues or, or different different test failures, right? But it's still failing. And, and so we come back the next day and, and we're like so close, but like Drupal core, like if, if y'all, if, if you ever done core development, Drupal core, at least, I don't know, maybe in the past year has had these random test failures and there's something with the JavaScript and, and we're trying to figure it out. And, and, and so we're getting these random test failures in, in addition to our legitimate test failures, right? So we're trying to fix all these at the same time. And then Gabor has the idea of like, hey, there's trivia night tonight. This is the Thursday of DrupalCon. Like, hey, maybe we could do a live commit to make Drupal the default for like prior to trivia. And I'm like, heck yeah, like, like let's do this, you know? So um, anyway, so Joe gets nine, Joe and, and Laurie get uh, 9.4 uh, basically kind of going, you know, but, but we still don't have the 10. Dot, the Drupal 10 patch uh, going yet, and there, and, which needs to happen separately because there's so much, there's already a lot of difference between Drupal 10 and Drupal 9. And, and so finally, uh, Gabor says, well, we can just do the, um, the, the Drupal 9 patch and then we'll get to the Drupal 10 patch when we do it, right? So uh, trivia night comes, and and uh, I get up in front of everybody, and 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 we we end up. Uh, I ended up texting everybody on this phone call, except for you, Matt, because you're not cool. I'm just yep, kidding. That's fair. <laughs> but uh, I get everybody, and, and I we all hopped in on the Zoom. And, uh, and I'm like, all right, we're going to do a, uh, a, a live commit. And, and I, I don't know, I, I had a couple beers. And so I was like, Hey, we, uh, I, I talked a little bit about Olivero and then we, uh, we did a countdown like 10, nine, eight, seven, six, five, you know, however that goes. Four, three, two, <laughs> and, one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, uh, 
and, and then you know Lowry hits enter and and then it's done and, and that was super cool and then later uh the tendot oh patches uh uh passed and and so uh later night in the miller trivia night i got to hit enter on on Lowry's computer well for the tendot oh that patch and at that point it was done it was like it was the default theme for drupal core and uh that was so so cool and and it was funny because that was almost like maybe two years like right after um right after DrupalCon seattle too well mike the odds are good that i was near you um that, that DrupalCon seattle when you had that conversation um i chose yeah. i chose to walk away because i knew what a time suck it would be but congratulations for for getting this far after the break we're going to talk a little bit about olivero um specifically like what it is and what you should expect to see and some really cool features it might have coming up right after this. Welcome back. You're listening to the Little Bot Podcast. We're talking about Olivero, which is the new default theme um, in Drupal, Drupal both eight and nine. Um, so Drupal nine and 10. Oh, Come God. On, yeah, you're absolutely what right. What year is it? <laughs> I, well, Drupal seven was a couple of years ago earlier, so I'm glad. Yeah, something like I'm that. I'm glad that I'm, I'm not the only one. Um, so, a lot of people involved in this process um, worked at Lullabot. Was this like some like Lullabot scheme to to make Drupal design better, or or how did that end up happening? Is this something Lullabot said, "Hey, get to work, Mike. We need no Lola, No, this was this was a little bit organic. Um, but that being said, like once I kind of started wrangling people and started talking to people, the Lullabot leadership was like 110% behind it, you know, and and, and kind of helped out. Lullabot, um, like, like once again, I'm no longer at Lullabot, but Lullabot gives you like what, like a quarter of your time for things other than client work. So that could be things like contribution, but also like meetings and logging your time and stuff like that. So we were able to use use that time. And, and, and to be honest, I probably put a little bit extra in there to kind of do this. Yeah. Okay. Very so, yeah. good. So Mike, I, I saw a blog post um, or yeah, that you had written kind of talking about all of the cool Olivero things. And when I sit down and I look at Olivero, one thing that comes out to me is the menu. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting that like slides away. It has a hamburger status. There's some drop downs. There's a lot of stuff going on there. There is a lot of stuff going on with the menu and it, and it doesn't look complicated. I, I gave a talk on this at, um, at a couple conferences, including uh, DrupalCon Portland. And, um, so, so there's a couple things that happen, like, at, like, at, like, I want to be clear, like menus are complicated in general. Like whenever you have a menu, like number one, people, this is what people use to navigate at the website. It needs to be usable. It needs to be accessible. But whenever you create a menu, you're not creating one, one menu. You're typically creating multiple menus. You're creating a mobile menu and, or, and the desktop menus. And you're typically using the same markup, you know? Mm -hmm. So it gets like really complicated, really, really fast. Um, the Olivero's menu also has that slide away function, which I guess isn't like so much to the menu as to the header. But um, Olivero, like as you scroll down the page, the like if you're at wider widths, 
the entire menu will kind of slide off to the left. And, um, and then if you scroll up, it'll come back. But when it slides off, it kind of like exposes like a little hamburger button. So you can kind of like pop, you can plop the menu back open or something like that if you want to. On top of that, like Olivero supports multiple levels of navigation. Like, so like we, you had the primary, like Bartik supported one, one level of navigation, you know? So if you want drop down menus, you're kind of SOL with Bartik. But with, um, with Olivero, we supported that. And it got complicated really quick because uh, to make accessible drop down second level navigations to make them wide, widely accessible <coughs> is, is a lot more complicated than it should be, honestly. Like, for example, um, when you have a drop down button, but your parent menu is a link, we have to we use uh, Twig to inject a button to the right of the link that you can click on or, or you can navigate with a keyboard that will then toggle the visibility of the submenu. But we still want it to activate on hover. So we have a hover menu on the whole, uh, the whole list item that will, that will activate it. But what happens if you hover and immediately click, then it'll kind of go away. We had to deal with that. And then we have to, it, it involves like a lot of, a lot of weird JavaScript. Um, we have to do a lot of things like setting aria attributes on the buttons you know uh, like like for example on on the, and any button that controls the submenu we we set the aria expanded attribute and then we also set aria controls and and that can get pretty complicated even though you're just toggling a couple things because like in because we need to make sure it's not propagating down the menu that's an issue i think that you actually fixed andy if you remember that where there was the ARIA controls was like if there were third level menus, which we don't really support, it was breaking everything and busting our JavaScript and we had to fix that. Yep. Um, so, so uh, from core by itself, you have a second level menu that's, that's okie dokie and you can use the Drupal menu administration stuff and just like indent it and stuff just yeah. works. And it'll just work. That's awesome. Um, we also to, do to an extent, right? I mean, one of the things that we had to do was we had to say, you know, at, at some point, what is a reasonable level where we can cut off? And what do we, it, what is it, two, one level of sub navigation or two? It'll support all of them, but it'll just look like crap. It starts, okay. you know, indents them and yeah. the, the little drop down piece has a certain width. And so at a certain point, you start getting kind of just one character per line and you get a really tall thing. But, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's a one size fit all solution that, that, we had to implement here. and if somebody wanted to add their own css to make it better for them and their own specific thing like it's totally doable right well yeah so like we don't officially support sub theming but i'm i'm totally i i totally sub theme it i like on my own personal website which is still on dev i actually named my uh, sub theme i i called it don't underscore sub theme underscore olivero why, why don't you support <laughs> sub themes what's the deal there yeah that's a really good question uh so as soon as you officially support sub theming you have like your 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 markup is is actually like an api so like you have imagine, to commit to the backwards compatibility of everything that's there uh, and so if you wanted to add something in new okay for, for example if you think about bartik if you when you start doing a view in a grid mode right all of the markup is not it's not using css grid it's actually doing a whole bunch of you know individual little divs that are all are they floated i think mike 
Or uh, cable? N- 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 there's wrapper divs for each row. There's just all and, kinds and of extra wrapper. And then they're floated in there, yeah. And, and you know, there might have been a, a boatload of issues that say, hey, let's update this to use Flexbox or CSS Grid or something modern. But you can't because as soon as you support sub-theming, if somebody wants sub-themed of, of Bartik back in, you know, 2010 before CSS Grid existed, and you start changing everything in Bartik, you can't they're going to inherit all those changes. And now you've broken all of these people's sites that are relying on it to stay to, to stay the same. Yeah. So so, so long story short, we, we, we say don't sub-theme Olivero, even though there's nothing like that will stop you except for like a code comment. Um, so you're asking, you, like the listeners are probably asking yourself, well, well what am I supposed to do? Uh, with Drupal 10, there's a new theme generation tool. Like right now you can run it like, I think it's like if you're in like PHP generate theme, I, I forget what the actual command is. Right now you can't like generate an Olivero based theme, but that's coming. And and hopefully that'll be there for 10.0.0. And um, so, so basically you'll be able to generate a copy of Olivero, call it whatever you want. And at that point you can start modifying it however you want and it has no dependencies to the actual theme so i could so like you know a year down the line say we wanted to start using like a new css feature like container queries that's not going to affect you or potentially break your site so really it's just kind of a fork of olivero that is your yeah. own theme which is kind of the way i used to run themes anyway when i had to run yeah. themes right it's it's my theme it's going to be what i want it to be and nobody else cares about it so <laughs> yeah that makes sense that's pretty much it Cool. So anyways, so back to the menus though, because the menus do a lot. Absolutely. And I would love to hear from, from Jen and Jared real quick. Um, any, what, what was the, the motivation there or the, the thoughts behind putting that menu system together and making it work as well as it does? And talk about the always on menu too. <laughs> always on mobile menu. <laughs> the, well, I can say one, one thing from our early planning that I forgot to mention was we, we established like, very simple set of design principles out of that early planning work as well. And those were simple, modern, focused, and flexible. And the part of the way we described modern was taking advantage of capabilities that are in browsers now that maybe weren't there back when Bartik. Like we want people to, we want this theme to feel like I'm, like it's made for modern browsers. And so we wanted to find ways to uh, to do that. And one way was to, to think about, well, how could we make it easier to access the navigation regardless of where you are on a site? And so, um, and so the, I think what you're referring to, Mike, the always on menu was an idea that came out of that, of like a way to have the menu or the, the header of your site kind of collapse away into this nice little thing. That's just always there on the left as you're moving through the site unless you reopen it, no matter whether you're way down on a page or whatnot. So I, you know, that, I think a lot of the modern uh, concepts, you know, it's always difficult to what is modern design. It's like right now, brutalism is super trendy. So it's like, the there is no such thing as like always modern design so to speak but we you know we focused more on uh keep it simple make sure it's focused and focused is kind of where the whole high contrast like bold make 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 the important things really easy and big and easy to read and make the the less important things scale back and that kind of stuff um and the the modern really was like finding ways to do things that maybe uh, aren't as common um, and create really fun things for Mike and others to figure out how to do. 
So I don't know. Jen, did you have other thoughts? Yeah. So I think one of the challenges that we had run across too, from a design perspective is like this menu can hold a X number of items. So like, really it looks great with only five nav items, but anybody can add like 12 or 15 in there. And what happens Mm -hmm. when they actually do that? Um, And so we had tried to come up with a solution with that. Like if you hit a certain number of nav items and it's at a certain width, it collapses into the the, the mobile nav. Um, I think another thing that we that we worked closely with with Mike on is accessibility with navigation. So specifically with like focus states, um, drop downs. So like having the carrot next to the drop down and what is clickable versus what is hover. Um, those were all like interactive states that we had worked on with Mike to make it fully accessible. So. And speaking of carrots, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, uh, Mike. Uh, for for those who are listening, and this will probably be a future uh, uh, DrupalCon trivia night fact. Mike got the second ever emoji into the Drupal CSS code base. Hmm. Because he as a, as a he class selector. It's it's a it's the carrot class selector. It's using the carrot emoji, uh, even though carrot there is not the same thing as the vegetable carrot, yeah. and that was something that Mike <laughs> learned during code review. That's awesome. What was the yeah. first emoji? I'm not familiar with that. That's a great uh, question. I don't actually know. Oh, okay. No, no. I think that was mine also. Um, <laughs> I think it was a, was it a puke emoji or something? Oh. It, it, oh, there was like yeah. some horrible IE11 hack. Oh. And so I think it was a Z index issue. Yeah. And so I literally wrote like probably like a, a, a six line. It's like a dissertation in a, a yeah, CSS code comment. Topic. Yeah. To indicate like what needed to be done. And then at the end of it, I, I put a puke emoji. And uh, <laughs> but the carrot is actually part of the code base. And if you open up your dev tools in Olivero, you can see the carrot emoji in your in your inspector. Yeah, it's a little triangle on the on the wide menu. Yeah, you can you can go oh. in there. So um so so one other thing that the uh uh that jen and jared uh designed is they they designed an always an option for an always on mobile menu so like let's say that the end user or the site builder whatever puts in like 27 different menu items they can check a box that says always use the mobile menu and at that point the mobile menu can accommodate you know Mm-hmm. as many as many menu items as you want and i'm pretty proud of that um and then recently we actually did something like really really cool um and i think andy you reviewed this patch for me but um i i ended up adding some javascript in there and the javascript will will detect is like as soon as you get so many menu items that it start that that that's about to wrap at that point it will it will uh transition into the mobile menu too and that's really really useful for like let's say you like you have a a large number of menu items but at wide widths the, the you know they look okay but maybe you didn't check medium widths and then it, it you know you don't want it to wrap and look all weird so at that point it'll transition to the mobile menu uh right when it needs to and i i think that's a pretty pretty neat piece of javascript that that we added so i'm proud of that mike i want to know more about the colors yeah uh so essentially can... you've replaced color module kinda right yeah well when you say me 
Andy did did pretty much all the work. I did a lot of review of that. But Andy, do you want to talk about that? And 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 if you talk about that, talk about like how we have our how we have our CSS variables and like all that type of stuff too. Yeah. So one of the one of the things that we got to do in the move from Drupal nine to Drupal ten was drop support for Internet Explorer. 11 and all versions, but 11 specifically. Um, and so it let us use some more modern CSS. Um, one of the things being uh, CSS custom properties or uh, what people will often refer to as CSS variables. Um, and one of the things that we got to do with that then was um, instead of putting all of our, our colors and design tokens into SAS variables that then get hard coded back into hex values back into in the regular CSS, um, we could keep everything as a variable in the CSS that gets delivered to the browser. And the cool part about that is then you can take those and you can combine them and construct colors in um, different color formats like RGB or HSL. Um, and so if we change individual values of each of those, we can then modify the, the hue, the saturation, the lightness of each color. Um, so what we ended up doing was part of the first thing we had to do was move all of our colors to, uh, to we, we renamed them from being, you know, color dash blue dash 10, you know, whatever the lightness value was to being color primary. Um, and then from there, we could start reconstructing those colors based on individual hue, saturation and lightness values, starting with the, the blues that we got from the designs from, from Jen and Jared. Um, and so kind of breaking those down from the blue hex value um, to an HSL value, and then start looking at if we were to start changing these, how could we, how could we do that and maintain, you know, kind of the color scale? Because if you look at, if you look at Olivero um, in the top left corner of all the pages, you have kind of that header logo brand block thing, and there's a gradient on a color. And so what we can do is we can say, if we start modifying that, can we maintain that kind of look and feel of that gradient, but with different colors? Does it still work if we change the blue to a green? Does it still work if we change the blue to a lighter blue or to a darker blue? Or does it just start capping out at white or black? Um, and so what we ended up doing was we put a, a new theme setting in, uh, in the appearance section of the admin pages where users can change the, you know, the kind of the root color from from the blue that we have, and we put in some presets, um, but they can just pick whatever color they want to. And then all of the other instances of that color will, will adjust to be lighter where the blue was lighter, to be darker where the blue was darker, um, and to be whatever hue you know, they, they chose. So real quick, Andy, um, because I have nice people who I, I work with like you, I haven't been in this world. How, how is that actually happening? Um, CSS variables that exist now, where do the variables get sit? Is it set? Is it another style sheet that then Drupal generates or how does that actually work? So the, the CSS variables, you, you can put a CSS variable wherever you want to. And just like any other property, because so, you know, we use the term CSS variables because that's how we like to think of them. But what they really are is custom properties as you can set any property you want to prefix with two dashes. And so we can do dash dash primary dash color and then we set that and then it gets inherited like any other uh, CSS property up and down the, the, okay. the DOM. Um, and so it's just, it just sits alongside all of your other styles. And then cool. anywhere that we want to use the colors, we can use 
those specific colors. And then, so what we've done is instead of having a specific blue that we picked, we say, what's the hue value of that blue? What's the lightness value of that blue? And what's the saturation value of that blue? And then we can modify that because it's just a number. And so you can multiply it, you can divide it, you can add it, you can subtract it. And so we're, we're scaling those values either to be lighter or more saturated or a slightly different hue, or we're making them darker or less saturated or, or a different hue in the other direction. And you're doing so, all this math to keep uh, accessibility as far as contrast is concerned, correct? Or how does... the, the, the math is mainly to maintain the look and feel. Um, if you pick a super light yellow, yeah. you know, you're, you're going to still run into issues with white text on a light yellow. Yeah. Um, so it, when you, when you start modifying the color that way, you do need to be aware of the accessibility implications. Um, but the, the blue that we have in there and the presets are, are all uh, accessible. Um, but if you start picking your own colors, you're, you're, you're on your own. I wonder really, in. I was going to say, I, I went into this and there's no good way to automate those choices because like you could definitely do programmatically, you know, I'm sure come up with a way to ensure that the color someone selects, like, you know, has a accessible contrast ratio against white or black or whatever the color is, it's going to be on it. That's doable. The problem is like, if like someone's brand color is a yellow, for example, the exact same uh, saturation and lightness values of yellow versus blue, um, you know, just the hue shift on that will lead to a radically different contrast ratio. And by the time you adjust the lightness in an HSL variation of, of your color to get the same contrast ratio, it will no longer look very yellow to the eye. Like, so... Because you, you have light green, you have dark green, and then you have light yellow and you have brown. Right, exactly. Hmm. I, I wanted to add in there that um, yes, like how he got the CSS in there. And he, uh, I think the CSS is injected with an inline style on the body tag. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also want to add that this stuff is going to come become a lot easier, like some of the issues that you were just talking about with colors, because uh, some of the browsers have, have new uh new color functions that they're going to come out with and there's also a new contrast function that can like select you know different contrast ratios that are, are different colors based on the contrast ratios and stuff like that that's going to be native to css but all that stuff's in the future so but when that does come out i totally want to do that in olivero because i think that's going to be really cool exciting times yeah it really good it really is honestly What's what's it, next on the list we want to uh, mention about uh, the Olivero uh, features? Man, you know what? We need some designers to design a dark mode. Does anybody know anyone for? <laughs> and Andy, you were so, saying that that's actually that's an OS setting, whether you're on dark dark mode or not, and the browser can know whether you're on dark mode or not. And yeah, so a lot the of right the a lot of the, the things that we a lot of the things that we look at now for for media queries, you know. People will talk about media queries being being mainly what's the, what's the width of the screen. Sure, that's and that's the, one that's the thing normal one. Yeah, yeah, right. But there's other ones you can do. So you know, prefers high contrast. Uh, if you if you set your operating system to run at high contrast, whether that's on your phone or your iPad or your your desktop PC, um, if you set that, the browser knows about that. The website doesn't, but the browser knows about that because it's running on your machine and it can say, hey, this person prefers this. And if there are styles that are meant to respect that, we can run those. Um, same thing with uh, you can reduce animation. And, and so the, the Olivero header 
slides in, slides out, and we can set that to say, hey, if they don't want animation, we can just make that sit static and just appear and disappear um, for anybody who, who may have vestibular disorders. Um, I'm trying to think of other settings that we can we can see and respect. Mike, do you, uh, I, one of them is the, the light mode, dark mode. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like, like, like media, I think you already talked about query. Force colors is what you're thinking of? No, 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 no. The, the, the there's also like things like uh, touch size or pointer size or something like that. And I think we might be using that maybe one place where, where you can say like pointer course or something like that. Um, there's all types of media queries that people don't. The first use. color scheme was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first color scheme. It sounds like this is a lot of future work that is kind of also left to do if if you can get to that. Um, and it's we earlier talked about how you couldn't or you shouldn't sub theme Olivero, and mm -hmm. that helps you able to like add more features along the way, right? Yeah. So this is this is kind of the plan is to keep doing stuff. Yeah, yeah, we want to keep Olivero modern. We want to keep on adding new features. One of the things that we've been talking about is like having a cool design for the language switcher, you know, mm -hmm. and and Jen and I have been working on that. Honestly, we've we haven't like really given it a heck of a lot of work because we've been doing we've been making it default and we've been like doing things like the color switching, which you know, but but I think language like having a cool design for a language switcher is coming up pretty soon. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the idea of doing a dark mode. Um, like, you know, like supporting modern, modern CSS, like as we can, I, I feel like, like that's a, that's a big thing. Um, and something that I'm also excited about, um, is, and, and this is a little bit outside of Olivero, but like taking some of these like CSS modernization stuff that is in Olivero and start applying that to the rest of Drupal core's code base. Uh, you know, like for example, like there's a new, um, like I talked about the theme generator before the theme generator by default will generate what's called, we'll use what's called the starter kit theme, which is basically a copy of Stark, you know, Stark being like the most basic theme ever, theme ever without any styles. It's enough of a theme so that you have a theme, but there's not really yeah. much there. Right. Yeah. But like, you know, we talked about this menu system and that like accessible menu systems are really hard. How cool would it be to get like the accessible menu system within that starter kit theme and just have it basic, have it, don't have it look good, but have the JavaScript written, have maybe, you know, have it, have the mobile stuff just kind of working, you know, and, and, and looking very basic and then people can apply their own styles to it. Like, I think that would be like really, really neat. Great. Well, I think we need to maybe go around the horn and then wrap up unless anyone has anything else we need to jump in with right now. I got a million things, but I don't know I'm if we sure. have time. <laughs> this will be a five-part series. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So, Jared, uh, anything that you wanted to point out about Olivero that we haven't gotten to or anything about the process or the design or that you just kind of wanted to point out as we point toward wrapping up? I think it was fun to work on and really interesting. And like I said, the whole like, you know, designing, designing, like designing a recipe where it'll be good no matter how much cumin they put in is like <laughs> the, the, the challenges of, of figuring out how we, you know, designing for the 80% and how are we going to define that 80%? And it was really interesting. And, um, 
And it was, I was actually kind of surprised at how positive the feedback was when we did reach the point where we moved from the proxy group to the broader community. And so I could just say a thank you to the community for that. Like it was pretty neat, like how, how great a job the proxy group did of, of giving us, you know, really good feedback to help us zero in on something that the community would actually appreciate. And it was a, yeah, it was, it was a neat process. So I was glad to be a part of it. Jen, any final thoughts or anything you would like to add? Um, yeah, ditto to everything Jared said. Um, I, this was actually the first project that I worked on where it was creating a theme. Um, and I learned a lot and, uh, it continues to teach this project continues to teach me. So like every time I work on something with Mike or with Andy or Jared, like I learned something new. Um, and so I think that's why it's so enjoyable. Um, and to like, there's, there's other things that we're going to be able to do with this. So as Mike mentioned, you know, there's dark themes that, you know, we're going to eventually look at there's a language switcher, but then also in the background, Jared and I have been having conversations of updating how we are sharing this with the community. So right now it's in Figma um, and there's new ways that you can assemble things in Figma that makes it a lot easier to manage everything. Um, and so we've been talking about updating uh, updating how things are kind of laid out in Figma so it's more shareable to, to the general community. Because um, I do know that there was uh, some community members that had uh, commented like, hey, this isn't really reflecting what's in the what's actually on the site right now. And it's like, well, yeah, it's because I was working fast and quick with Mike. <laughs> like Mike and I would hop on a call and he'd show me. And so there's stuff like that, decisions that were made that still need to be reflected in design. But we're also in the process are going to update how we share that all out to the community. So, Andy? Um. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 a beautiful theme. So it looks great. Great work on the design, uh, Jen and Jared, and and excellent work on getting it started and into core, Mike. And um, it's it's been a, a real joy to work with and um, be a part of. I, I know Olivero for me has been kind of my introduction to to core contribution, um, and it's it's been nice to have a front end centric kind of thing to work on for core. Um, as someone who's who's not really on the PHP side of things, knows enough to do, you know, pre-processes enough for for a theme, but to not have to to worry about you know writing PHP unit tests and and there's plenty of smart people around me who are much better at that than I am. Um, so it's been nice to have to have some front end work to be able to to get into to core contribution and and give back to the community. Mike Herschel. Yeah, this is gonna take a long time. I saved you to the end because I figured it would. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and log off here. Um, <laughs> I want to first of all thank Pooja, even though she couldn't be here, because even though uh, toward the end she didn't have the bit the personal bandwidth to help out, like she was indispensable. I also want to say like how much I learned, uh, kind of like you, Andy, uh, Jen, and Jared, like 
this is my first time doing like substantial core contribution. I learned a lot, you know, and, and I, I'm a better developer because of that. I want to specifically like thank like the accessibility maintainers. I've learned a whole bunch about accessibility uh, through all this and developing that menu system. And it's, it's just been awesome. And, and the, the maintainers um, like Lowry and Gabor and, and everyone else that kind of guided us through the process. And um. Finally, like I miss everybody. I miss y'all. So nice to see you. And, and uh, I'm going to Drupal Camp Asheville in July. So hopefully, hopefully I can talk to y'all when we go in there. We're glad you're still in the Drupal community, Mike. We get to, yeah. uh, you know, yell at you through the issue queue and whatever. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy being yelled at through the issue queue. So is there a place on Drupal Slack where Olivero work is done or suggestions or if somebody has questions or suggestions or torches and pitchforks, where should they go? Yeah, uh, there's an Olivero channel in, in Drupal Slack. And then um, like Andy and I have been working a lot with uh, Christina Chumias also is in regards to like Claro and stuff, and we're tra we're trying to combine efforts, and so we've actually combined our uh, our meetings. We used to have separate meetings, but now that we're both default and stable, uh, we we're we're doing stuff together. And I, I don't know, those are like Tuesdays or something, but um, those are in the front end channel. There's a front end channel with no hyphen in there, and that's in Drupal Slack. And so any of those channels, you can you can get a hold of me and and yell at me. Well, I have a milestone for y'all, um, and and I want to hear about it when it happens. So we've all been on the internet randomly and come across the website, and you say, oh, this is Drupal, and I know that because it's Bartik. So when you come across a website that is Olivero, I look forward to hearing your reaction because that I've already, that's already happened to me. Actually, I've already seen a couple of That's yeah, just random? That's like, a, yeah. yeah I mean, that's, like that's... Mike's blog doesn't count. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that, you know, you're like ordering a pizza or researching World War II or something. And you're like, crap, that's that's Olivero. Yeah, I, 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 I guess I, I guess to say, like, the ones I've ran across are like a little bit Drupal centric kind of bloggy. Um, I know a person that's uh, that's developing like some nonprofit type websites with that. But I didn't like organically run across those. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Very cool. It'll happen, you know, like, like, I mean, Olivero is not, it's going to be the default in the new version of Drupal 9.4, which I think is coming out uh, in June, sometime this month. Well, I mean, we, and, we've all run across Blue Marine and Bartik over the years, right? Blue Marine. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. And Blue. Yeah. Let's, let's hope we don't run across Blue Marine too much anymore. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, congratulations on your efforts. Um, Sounds like a lot of work, but uh, definitely useful. I look, fun. I look forward to using it. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.